And if you have your Bibles, if you'd go to Galatians chapter number 1. Galatians chapter number 1. We want to read from verse 11, from verse 11. The Apostle Paul, writing to this church and defending the gospel and dealing with some false teachers that had slipped in. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation From Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews my own age. And was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from birth. King James would say from my mother's womb. But when God has set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, when He was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach and proclaim Him among the Gentiles, I didn't consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately to Arabia and then later to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter. And stayed with him fifteen days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you, before God, that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. Later I went to Syria, Cilicia. And I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Use as a little title this morning, Three Eternal Gems. Three Eternal Gems. In this book to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul is confronting some false teachers who had come into the church and Paul's words were attempting to pervert the gospel of Christ, pervert the gospel of grace. He called it a different gospel. But clearly Paul is proclaiming there's only one true gospel. But the people in their faith was under attack. They were being thrown into confusion. So the servant of God was quick and proper to act as he did. And in our text we see Paul's defense of the gospel includes how he received the message, but also how the message affected him. How he had been transformed by the message. And he gives a short version of his testimony that we just read. Now, you see, Paul that great apostle to Paul, the gospel was much more than a message that he preached. It was a miracle that he had experienced. And now it was also a treasure that he guarded. Because if you lose the gospel, you lose everything. If you lose the truth of the biblical Christianity and salvation, you lost it all. So Paul is in defense, and we see in verses 11 and 12, Paul states that his message and his ministry are of divine origin. He didn't invent the gospel. He didn't receive it from a man. But he received the gospel from Jesus himself. It was divinely given. Then in verse 13, he he begins to um, share a portion of his testimony. He begins, you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. And he talked about how he was Jewish by birth, but he was a Pharisee by choice. And the Pharisee is the strictest sect. Of the Jews. They were hard. They were rough. They were, they were tough going. And he speaks of his conduct as he was, um, he was zealous, exceedingly zealous. He was advancing in Judaism. He was violent and in great opposition to the gospel and the cause of Christ. He made much effort to destroy the church. Paul, we still know him as Saul at this time, is full of hostility and hatred towards Christians. He considers Jesus an imposter and the gospel a lie. He considers Christians dangerous and deceived. It's been said by one writer that Paul was voted by the Jews most likely to succeed and by the saints most unlikely to be converted. But praise the Lord that God had other plans. Can you say amen? 
Aren't you glad that God had other plans? I don't mean just for Paul, but I mean for you and I mean for me. I thank God that He had other plans because we weren't always walking on the road that we're now walking. We weren't always singing the songs we're now singing. But somewhere along life's road, God in His infinite mercy stopped us and awakened us and turned us around. And so I thank the Lord this morning that God had other plans, not only for the great apostle, but for me and for you, that in His mercy He didn't leave us to our own ways. In His grace, He didn't allow us just to keep running, thinking we knew it all. But He reached out and took a hold of our lives, apprehended us, turned us around, and made us new creatures. Can somebody say amen? Now, prior to Paul's conversion, and you can in your devotional times, Acts 8 and Acts 9, you can get a fuller story here. But prior to his conversion, the Bible says Paul is breathing out murderous threats towards the church. He had a goal to destroy and ravage the church. He had authority and a hellish drive to imprison every Christian he could find. But on the way to arrest some Christians on the city of Damascus, he got arrested by Jesus Christ. (laughs) <laughs> He's on his way to apprehend saints and throw them in jail. But instead, he got apprehended by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and if you know the story there in, eighth, in the ninth chapter of Acts, he met Jesus and he heard His voice in a personal, in a powerful way. And he was never the same. And many of us can testify we're here today because Jesus made Himself real to us. It wasn't just we went along with Mama's thinking. It wasn't just we succumbed to Daddy religion, but somewhere along the line, we had a real personal, life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, and we've never been the same. Can you say amen? Oh, I want someone to know what you need is Jesus. You think another marriage will help. You need Jesus. You think a better job would help. You need Jesus. You think just that you can get an education. God bless you. Get all the education you want. But ultimately, you need Jesus. You need to know Him. You need to walk with Him. You need to give Him your very best and let Him bless you and walk in you and talk in you. Blessed be His name. Oh, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Don't just come to religion. Don't just come to some kind of weird kind of... But come to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And let Him fill you and change you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And now at the end of our text in verses 23 and 24, now, now Paul is preaching the faith he had once tried to destroy. And people were praising God for it. You know, there are people out there that are praising God for your salvation. There are people out there that prayed for you. And when you finally said, Uncle, they praise God for your salvation. Hallelujah. Glory to His name. Now, if we can draw our attention to verses 15 and 16, we'll spend the rest of our time right here. As we glean through this shortened version of Paul's testimony, I notice three things that Paul mentions here. Three things that stand out to me like eternal gems. Eternal gems. Gems of truth. Three things that not just Paul can rejoice over, but every one of us who knows and loves the Lord Jesus, we can find rich blessings in these eternal truths. We're going to see, number one, Paul says, uh, we have been, I've been set apart. I've been set apart from, from, from birth, from my mother's womb, literally. From my mother's womb, God had set me. God had set you apart. But secondly, not just set me apart, but He called me by His grace. And the call of grace is a wonderful thing. It's a marvelous thing. It is a high and holy privilege. He was called by God's grace. And lastly, we've met Jesus. We've met the Lord, we've seen Him, and now we proclaim Him. We see Him, and now we present Him to our world as He walks in us and talks in us. Blessed be His name forevermore. So number one, I want you to notice in verse 15 that the child of God has been set apart from birth or from our mother's womb. Uh, Let's read it. Let me suck at this. i got my Bible here. Verse 15. For when God who set me apart from birth. 
God has set him apart from birth. Knowing that he was going to live crazy. Knowing that he was going to live in opposition. Isn't that wonderful? That God chose us before we were. But here it is. The child of God has been set apart. In fact, it says, and it pleased God. And it pleased God. And in some translations it begins, and it pleased God. And in some it's at the end of the sentence. But it pleased God to set him apart from birth. You didn't have to beg God to save you. He was desiring from before you were to make you His very own. That He had designed and desired that you would walk with Him and talk with Him and know Him. The child of God, number one, has been set apart from birth. It's a moving thing to truly understand and accept how God views and how God values humanity. Fallen man devalues humanity. That's why we, we murder them and we, we, we don't care how we treat them. We abuse them. But from the beginning, the living God values humanity. Loves it. And if we can understand how, how He looks at things. I remember the story. We've told it before, but it bears repeating. Out in Tucson, they had a gem and mineral show where they all have their booths and different rocks and different crystals and so forth. And there was one expert, he was, um, he was a dealer, and he was walking down and he saw this um, potato-shaped violet stone and he looked and the guy wanted $15, he got him down to 10 10 they both walked away happy. But now, it was appraised for $2.2 million. It wound up being a natural star sapphire, 1,900 carats. But you see, it took a lover of stones to see the value and to see the worth. And when God looks upon humanity, He sees value and He sees worth. So much so that He sent His only begotten Son to die for everyone. Now, 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 this verse, this verse should incredibly bless each one of us, especially those of us that have come to Christ. This, our, our, our self-esteem, our, our self-worth ought to jump off the Richter scale. Our sense of purpose. When we find out you're not an accident, you're not a cousin of a tadpole, but heaven wants you to know you were made in the image of God. That the Almighty made you and He knew you before you were. And heaven wants to remind someone this morning you are greatly loved and your life was planned. It didn't just come about. It wasn't just cause and effect. Your life was planned by the omniscient, omnipotent Creator of the heavens and earth. And not only was your life planned, but you have a divine purpose. You have a reason for being. There shouldn't be all this confusion. And people don't know who they are. People don't know what's going on. But when you come to Christ, the confusion becomes clear as you walk with Him. And let Him explain reality from God's vantage point. Someone, let it be known He loves you. He has a plan for you. He has a divine purpose for you. And if you're walking with Him and you're a Christian, He has given you divine power to fulfill that purpose and to accomplish that desire. It enables you to prevail over anything that would try to hinder, resist, and keep you from that. When I meditate on truths like what Paul is writing, this insight into the heart of God, that we were separated from our mother's womb, that from before we were, God knew us and God affectionately chose us and desired us. I think of um, Psalm 139 and meditate on that wonderful Psalm of David, where again, he just talks about the wonder of God's love and God's knowledge and God's care for us. Where David in that wonderful psalm, he talks about um, how God knows us intimately. And God um, is with us constantly. And God made us wonderfully. He talks about being knitted together in our mother's womb. He says, anywhere I go, you are there. If I make my bed in the heights, you are there. Down to the depths, you are there. Wherever life takes me, wherever the wind blows me, God, you're there. Hell tries to knock me out. God, you're there. Men try to set up a snare, but God, you were there. When everyone else left, God, you were there. When no one else could help me, God, you were there. Oh, David says, man, I go up to the heaven, you're there. I go down to the deepest depths, and God, you're there. He says, you know me so beautifully, so intimately. Always trying to explain ourselves. But he says, oh God, before the word came out of my mouth, you knew it. Before the thought was conjured, you knew it. Oh, what a God that knows us, cares for us. Oh, you search for me. You search me and you know me. You speak to me. Overwhelmed and taken back 
by God's great love and God's care, God's design and God's desire. He's almost like bursting with praise. You read Psalm 139. At one point, he basically says, this is my, my, my prophet. It blows me away. God is too much. It's too much. Such things are too wonderful for me. These thoughts blow me away, God, when I think of how you made me and how you know me and how precious I am to you. Verse forth with praise. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Hallelujah. He says, God, you wrote it down in a book before. Oh, you knew me. You knew me. How precious are your thoughts towards me. And you see, eternal truths like this, all these wonderful truths that we read in the Scriptures should humble us and excite us and certainly build within us a spiritual and emotional health and strength and stability and security. If any people are an emotionally secure people, it has to be the people of God. If anyone that knows their Bible understands the reality of God and this salvation, that should give us a healthy esteem and a healthy emotion and a settling and a security and an appreciation. You are here today by divine desire, divine design, and divine destiny. Your origin is in the heart of God. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, and Paul writes, All things were made by Him and for Him. And that means you and that means me. Here it is. For by Him, speaking of Jesus, for by Him all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. That means you. That means me. What a wonderful thought when we see the glory of heaven. We see the handiwork of God. We see the glorious part of... I understand I also was made by God and for God. And that should bring a security and a strength into someone's heart, into someone's life. And then he goes on in the 17th verse. He says, And in Him everything holds together. He is before all things. Make sure Jesus is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together, friend. That is why it is so important that you keep Jesus first place in your life. In Him, all things hold together. Life begins to come unraveled. Situations come unglued. When Jesus is no longer given His special place, when the Bible is clear, all things, including us, were made by Him and for Him and in Him they hold together. And when man pushes God out, the crumbling begins. When man pushes God aside and rejects His authority and ignores His loving commandments, then everything begins to crumble and fall apart of the seams. But if we seek ye first the kingdom and His righteousness, and we give Him first place in our lives and in our marriages and our jobs and everything else we do, we'll know the strength that comes from having the Lord at our right hand 24-7. We'll know the peace that comes by having the Spirit of God dwell within us 24-7, giving us peace even when around us is chaos. I want someone to know you're a child of God and you've got privilege that others don't have. You ought to be the most sane, the most emotionally healthy, the most mentally complete people on the face of the earth for you know God, you know God's truth, and you understand for God has given the revelation. Can you say amen? Oh, glory. No, no, no. You didn't come from sludge. It takes a fallen brain to think of that nonsense. And you were made male and female. Created he them. Don't let that devil sneak up on you. That present lying spirit of this hour. Confusion comes from hell. When they're confused, you know hell got in that thinking process somewhere, somehow. Say amen. I'm trying to say we get back to the book. The B-I-B-L-E. Things a lot simpler when we let the divine designer have his way and just follow his path. Just follow his path. Amen? We don't got to figure it out. Stop figuring it out. Read it. Accept it. Rejoice in it. We got the best end of this deal, folks. <laughs> he died and we get saved. He takes judgment we get salvation. Instead of being broke, busted, and disgusted, we got abundant life, joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. 
And when we read the book, we understand the love and the care and the value God puts on humanity. You might have been rejected from others, but God says, before you were, I knew you and I loved you and I called you. I gave you purpose. I have a divine destiny, a divine desire just for you. Glory be to God. That's what the book teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. Look out, look out, that's lying spirit. That's why they murder. That's why they abuse. That's why they oppress. But when you look at God's vantage point, fresh understanding, revelation comes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. In Him all things hold together. If you feel like you're falling apart, get back to Jesus. Get back to Jesus. If you feel like things are coming unglued, get a fresh altar. Get back to Jesus. Give Him His proper place. Don't just talk it, walk it. Come on, say amen. Woo! My goodness. Oh, for a thousand tongues. Oh, no, if you know Jesus, you're somebody. You're, you're a child of the living God. Oh, put that head up. Get them shoulders back. Glory be to God. Greater is He that's within you. Woo! Hallelujah! That He that's in the world. Now, wonderful. Got to read that book. It's a wonderful book. Hallelujah! Can I, can I give you one more along this line? But we've been set apart by birth. You were before you were. That blows your mind, don't it? God knew you before. Woo! Before you were. God desired. God desired. You don't have to beg God to take you. He wanted you so much, He sent His Son to die for you so that everything that kept you apart could be blotted out and you could be reconciled to God. God desired you. And guess what? God designed you. So, so don't, 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 don't get frustrated about who you are. You are who God made you. Rejoice. Amen. Just be the best you. Just be the best you. Isn't that right? I can't go bawling and squall. I'm never going to slam dunk. It's just a fact of life. I got to get over that. Isn't that right? But I'll praise God. I, you made me short and squatty. I can deadlift pretty good. But anyway, you got to, you, you, you got to appreciate it. God made you rejoice in it. Amen. Just be the best you. Be the best you. That's all. Look in the mirror and say, God, you made me. And you don't make junk. God said it was good when God made creation. Before you were, God desired and God designed and God destined. There is a destination. Destined, destination. I've got to work with God to get to that destination. You go on that plane trip, there's a destination. It's all mapped out, but you still got to get on that plane. You've you got to walk with this thing, isn't it right? You've got to show up at the right time. You, you can't say, I'm destined, I'm destined to go to um, Springfield, Missouri and get on the flight that, that has taken you to Newark, New Jersey. No, no, you're going you're gonna, to get your destination. Your destiny, destination. So you can sometimes don't don't think destiny don't just happen. Destiny happens when we work with God and walk with God towards his intended destination. One more verse. I got to get one more verse. Now, if you grew up in church. I mean, if you grew up in church as a kid and you went to Sunday school, all parents bring your kids to Sunday school. They'll get more out of Sunday school than sitting there. They'll get it. You knew this verse, Jeremiah 1 and 5. We all, only Sunday school. I mean, they give you this verse, and it's so good. So our kids grew up knowing, I'm made by God. And, you know, the science class want to teach you about monkeys. No, I come from an old monkey. I come from an Italian and a Ukrainian. Amen. That's where I come from. I come from an old monkey. Isn't that right? And, and they knew this, but we taught this to our kids. We taught this. So at a tender age, I'm saying second, third grade Sunday school class, this is what they're learning. And they're learning. And they're, you're planting that seed of truth in them. That devil's lies can't knock it out. You hear them foolish things talking about all this nonsense. Any, any joker can tell you don't come from a monkey. Then why aren't monkeys turning into men now? Oh, they don't matter. No, no. You know what I mean? Oh, educated fools, folks. I'm telling you, thus saith the Lord. Stand on the Word. Believe the Word. Get the revelation from God. This is a wonderful, powerful calling and commissioning of the prophet Jeremiah. But God speaks to him and says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. And I appointed you with purpose. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Wow. Before I formed you, 
I knew you. Not after I formed you, I looked to you and said, well, maybe you'd be good at this. No, no. Before I formed you, I knew you. And then, before you were born, I set you apart from your mother's womb. And I appointed you and had a purpose for your life. You've got to walk with me to fulfill that purpose. You've got to submit to me to enter into that purpose. And Jeremiah, he's a young man, and God's calling him to be a prophet. He's going to get a lot of flack here. He's not being called to an easy task. In the next verse, Jeremiah said, I'm just a child. I can't do it. And God shoots back, don't you talk to me like that. God wouldn't have anything of it. No, 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 no. God said, you got to go where I tell you to go. Do what I told you to do. And then God gives him two wonderful promises. He gives, but number one, I'm with you. And number two, and I'm going to touch you in his hand. Touch the mouth of the prophet. What a beautiful thought that God knew us. And we say this over and over again. The knowing of God is not just a mental academic knowing it's a knowing of affection it's a knowing of choice it's a knowing of desire and he says before god knew us then god formed us god set us apart and god appointed us to be his ambassadors to be his sons to be his daughters to carry out his will to be his vessels in the earth to be his temples of the holy spirit And again, when we grasp the truth that Paul is writing about in verse 15, we grasp the truth that David is rejoicing over in Psalm 139, so many others, we grasp the truth that we get from Jeremiah the prophet's conversion. And we recognize this is how God looks at each one of us. It ought to automatically enable us to reject the negative self-images and the doubts and the confusions and the identity, the confusion, all the It should be washed away when we truly begin to recognize, no, 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 whatever they're selling is wrong. Whatever that lie of the devil, that confusing, the Word of God declares there is a Creator and He loves His creation. And He knew us before we were. And He knew us with affection. He knew us with desire. And that's you. That's you. That's you. You look in the face. God, You loved me before I was. Oh, what a wonderful thought. God, You had a good plan for me before I was. Oh, what a wonderful... Lord, if anyone else didn't like me, it don't matter. You love me. And You have a plan. And You have a purpose. And we walk in this. And we truly understand that and believe that and allow that to fill our lives and respond to it properly. We should be able to respond to life with a new confidence and a new courage. With a certainty. Approaching life. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. With a new zeal for life. And remember, 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 as a child of God, we have the certainty of His creation and the certainty of His affection. But we also have the assurance of His presence and the touch of His power. He says to Jeremiah, I know, I know the task seems a little, little overwhelming a bit. I know what I'm calling you to do. It will be demanding and you'll get resistance and flack. And he says to Jeremiah, and he says to you and I, I know your situation. I know your circumstance. I know your age. I know your human frailties, etc. But I am with you. And my touch, God reached out His hand. He touched His mouth. He said, I'm putting my words in your mouth. I am with you and my touch upon your life will overcome and overrule human flaws, human limitations, and human resistance. We close this point with this thought. May God's truth produce healthy esteem, image, awareness and confidence in the life of His people. And may God's touch, Pentecost Sunday, you shall receive power. May God's touch empower us to live this life victoriously and expectantly and fruitfully as more than conquerors. Can you say amen? Amen. Number one, the beautiful jewel. We have been set apart. We have been set apart from birth. You have been set apart from birth. God knew you before you were. No accident. God loved you. God chose you. And He's with you. All right. Number two. Secondly, we have been called by His grace. 
And you see this in verses 15 and 16. Then called by His grace. I'm going to highlight three calls of this wonderful grace. But Paul says, when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace. Called me by His grace. The call of grace. The call of grace. The call of grace has at least three expressions to it that we need to understand and respond to to get the full measure of God's heart for our lives. We've been called. You have been called by the grace of God. It wasn't so much God made me and had pity on me and let me live and I had to somehow reach out and cry out and climb out. He said, no, in fact, I called you and I've been wooing you and I've been knocking and I've been reaching. Three calls of grace. Remember, the call of grace includes the enabling of grace. The call of grace includes the enabling of grace. If God is leading me, whatever the scenario, He'll give me grace to endure it, to overcome it, to to navigate through it. The call of grace. Number one, there's the call of grace to salvation. We're all familiar with that. For by grace have you been saved. Amen. That's basic. That's basic. But secondly, and, and there's the call to sanctification. And there's the call to service. Now let's just walk through this here. The call to salvation. Call. Now, responding to all three. This, what happened? Many times Christians stop at one. They get saved and they don't grow too much. They get saved and they don't serve too much. They get saved and they don't advance too much. That makes a very limited Christian experience. See, we have to respond to all all three of these. Now, responding to all three of these are necessary and they're required if we're going to really mature and grow up in God's will and fulfill His plan. Refusing to respond to these calls, well, it can stunt growth. It stunts the believer's growth. I read a story. It was in a pastor magazine, but one, one retired preacher, he said, I met a young man not long ago who dies for exotic fish, for aquariums. And he said to me something interesting. He said, one of the most popular fish that I'm asked to get are sharks. Sharks. And he explained that you can catch a small shark and confine it, and it will stay the size proportionate to the aquarium. He says, sharks can be six inches long yet fully matured. But if you turn them loose in the ocean, they'll grow to their normal eight feet. But then he went on to write this, and he got me, he got me, he got me chuckling here. He says, that also happens to some Christians. I've seen the cutest little six-inch Christians swimming around. Self-imposed tanks of limitation caused by refusal to respond to God's call to sanctification and faithful service. Can you say amen? Grace is called to salvation. Very quickly, we know this. This is universal in its extent, but it's only personal in its response. This call goes out. God's not willing that any should perish. And the call to salvation goes out whosoever will. But it's only any good to those that respond to it. It only empowers and saves those that say yes to Jesus. We know that God desires that no one perishes. He's not willing that any perish. He wants all men to be saved for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. So you don't have to perish. You can have eternal life. You don't have to stand before God as, as a holy judge. You can stand before God as your heavenly Father, but only if you receive Jesus Christ. And the call goes out whosoever will. It doesn't matter what you've done, how many times you've tried or you failed. The blood of Jesus is powerful enough to wash you, cleanse you, and change you. If you'll come to Jesus, call on His name, give Him your life, He'll make you a new creature. He'll save you if you're willing to come and respond to the call of that grace. The call of grace is the call that came to us. We were rebellious. We were doing our own thing. But it's that call of grace that knocked on our heart, that convicted us, opened our eyes, that drew us to us. This call of salvation's grace comes to us. But then there's the call of sanctifying grace that works in us. It starts on our end when we say yes to the call of salvation. And that's why most of us are here today. We heard the gospel and we said yes. The grace of God dealt with our heart and we said yes. And we became new creatures. We became saved. But now the grace of God doesn't stop there. 
any more than you would be happy bringing home your little loved one, oh sweet, and I'll put the little binky in there and put him in the bassinet. Well, if he doesn't walk, it's okay. No, they never, you never, no, you wouldn't want that, no, would you? Because it's more, we want to see the growth and maturity and the achievement of the purpose and the grace call of sanctification. This is where God says, now please, don't just stop with forgiveness. Don't just stop with heaven someday. Grace desires to do more in my life and in yours. Leonard Ravenhill talks about a group of tourists that were looking at one of those beautiful little villages in England. And they saw an old man standing by the gate outside the village and they asked, any any, um, great people born here? And the old guy said, nope, only babies. Only babies. I mean, babies are born with possibility and potential, but they're not born great. You've got to earn greatness. You've got to take some diligence and some discipline and some fortitude and some effort and some growth to become great. The potential's there. When we get saved, there's a whole lot of potential to become what God's called us to become, to do what God's created us to do. But I have to respond not just to the, the grace's call to salvation. I've got to submit and work with grace's call to sanctification. Titus 2 in verses 11. Titus 2, 11, 12, 13. There's a call to sanctification. Now listen, this is where, this is where God works in us. This is where it transforms us. This is where we die to some habits. And this is where we develop some new habits. This is where we receive the baptism. This is where we go on to memorize the Scripture. This is where we begin to make consistency and change some of these habits in our life. But Titus chapter number 2, verse, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It appeared to us and we said yes, didn't we? If you're saved today, the grace that brings salvation, you heard the Gospel, didn't you? You heard John 3.16 and you gave your heart to Jesus. Glory be to God. The grace of salvation comes to us. But now this grace that calls you and I onward into growth and maturity in Christ like us. That's the grace. That's the call that wants to work within us. Look at that next verse. This grace that saved us is also a grace that wants to teach us and inspire us and urge us on. And some stop with grace number one. I'm saved. But you don't want to be a little six-inch Christian swimming around all your life, do you? Because this grace teaches us to say no ungodliness and selfishness and worldly things and things unfitting. So grace in me, see if anyone ever tells you and gives an excuse for sinful living and they mention grace, they're deceived or they're lying. Because the Bible doesn't teach grace in that way. The Bible says that grace that saves me and is dwelling within me, the Spirit of God, that grace now wants to help me to grow into the image of God, to grow and mature as a child of God. So it actually teaches me there's some things now that I'm saved, I say no to, that I used to say yes to. There's some things I used to do I don't do anymore. There's some places I used to go I don't go. It says no to ungodliness and worldliness, but it also says I'm dying to this, but I'm developing that. See, it's a both and. It's not just, I can't do this, I can't do that. That, That's, you know, like we say, the donkey out in the field don't drink or smoke, but he's not going in. It's It's not just not to do. It also means I begin to do. I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I begin to develop that strong prayer life. I learn the Word and meditate on that Word. It teaches us to say no, but it also teaches me to live a certain way. To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age that is not a good age. It's not a godly age. We talk about the call to sanctification. Paul says he called me by his grace. And the call to grace is not merely a call to salvation. That's where it begins. But that's not where it ends. It continues on and grace calls you and I to be sanctified. And to grow in God. And to be transformed by God. We grow up in our salvation. The goal, the goal of the call to sanctification, the goal is Christ-likeness. The requirement is cooperation. And the process is continual and progressive. I'll read that again. The goal of this working of God's grace to be sanctified. 
The goal is Christ-likeness. That's where John said, John the Baptist, I must decrease that He might increase. So the goal of grace in my life is not allowing foolishness. It's not applauding wickedness. But it's bringing transformation. And the requirement though, the requirement. You see, when it comes to being saved, all we can do is receive it. Not by works, so any man should boast. Amen? I, 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 can't, I can't earn it. I receive it. But when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to growing in God, this requires cooperation. I still remember in military training out there in AIT, um, there, were, there was a company, there, there was a company next to us, and they had a drill sergeant working them over pretty good. And they were, you know, just young, 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 ate up old privates and all that. And I could just hear, I could still hear them yelling, come on, people, work with me, work with me. Oh, they're going to break the old guy. I mean, you know, you get privates, they still don't know their left from their right. And, but God says, work with me. If you'd work with me at growing in faith as much as you do in some of your hobbies, you, you'd, be the, you'd, be the, you'd be walking on water pretty soon. Somebody say amen. That was good. Elbow, you can elbow your spouse. You can do what you want. But man, that was good. Let's just call something something around here. Come on, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I felt good with that. I don't know about you. Anyway. And the process, listen, the process of sanctification is continual and progressive. It's, continu- it's not automatic. Wouldn't it be great if you could just come down to the altar and a holy hot chat, pour oil on you, bop you on the head, and boom, I'm patient. Never impatient again. Wouldn't that wonderful? I'd wait on that line, brother. Amen. I'd be there. Say, Lord, do it, do it, do it, do it. I mean, I'm never going to have a temper again. Just hit me once. Boom. Wouldn't that be great? Well, that, that's not how this works. This is a daily, it's a progressive, it's a growth. So what that says to me, because the process is continual and progressive, it says, number one, if you, if you seem like you messed up, get back up and keep going. God's not done yet. Or you feel like you're doing pretty good, don't get too complacent. God's not done yet. So on one hand, if you get back up. On the other hand, if you're doing pretty good, keep on going. All right, lastly, lastly, hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. Oh, Jesus is good, isn't he? Hallelujah. We're talking about the call of grace. For the majority of the church, grace simply means God just lets me, he forgave me and then I can live in it. No, that's, we, haven't, we haven't studied the Bible but there is a grace that saves us. And oh, we thank God for that grace. Because we can't earn it. None of us, are, we will all be rejected. We all fall short of the glory of God. Grace that saves me. But once I really receive the saving grace, that same grace is going to begin to call me into sanctification. Which means Christ-likeness and maturity and growth. It means some things I've got to die to, but other things I've got to grow in. And I've got to hunger for and I've got to mature in. But then this third part of the call of grace is the call to service. Because this is another t- way that God develops, matures, and uses the one that He saves. The grace that calls to service. Grace came to me. Grace works in me. This grace flows out of me. This grace flows out of me as I minister in the name of Jesus to my world. Um, this grace flows through us as we serve others. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And we saw the, the first part, right? Saving grace. For by grace you have been saved. We talked about that. It is through faith. I just believe it and receive it. It's not of myself. It's a gift of God. I can't earn it. But go on here. Go on. That next verse, verse 9, verse 9. Um, not of works. No one can boast. No one can boast. Now, verse 10. Now, this is serving grace. This is serving God. I want you to see this. For we are God's Amen. It literally means his piece of art, his work of art. Not piece of work, work of art. Work of art. Created in Christ Jesus to, to do what? Just sing, sing kumbaya until the rapture? No, 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 no. Just, you know what I mean? No, pizza parties until he goes. No, 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 no. It says to do good works. And now we're getting back to the original, which God prepared in advance. Remember, remember the one that knew us before we were? 
and He desired us and designed us and made a way of salvation to us, even back then, He had prepared in advance tasks and opportunities and responsibilities for us to carry out and us to fulfill for His name. Hallelujah. We are His workmanship, created to do good works. And whatever God calls us to do, this grace, this grace will enable us to do it. And it will enlarge in us and enrich us as we do it. You see, one of the ways that we grow is by giving out. One of the ways, see, God's kingdom, God's kingdom. See, you're not going to go anywhere. It's raining, so get comfortable. Amen. See that? That beautiful. You can't love thunder. Everyone got to stay in for another hour. All right, sit down. Sit tight. Amen. Just give me another battery and we'll keep going. But notice this, notice this, notice this. Mm. Service. This is a grace that helps us to develop as we exercise this call. In the natural, mostly you hear preachers touch on this when it comes to giving. All right, people need to be taught giving. Bills have to be paid. But, you know, the kingdom teaches by getting out, you actually get blessed. The world says, save it. All right, all right, but give it. Okay, but forget finances for a second. We already took the offer. This also works in our Christian character and faith. By giving out, I grow. See, I limit myself as a believer. Again, all right, I might grow in some sanctification, and maybe I'm not a six-incher. Maybe I got, you know, I'm, I'm a foot and a half. But God made you jaws, man. He made you to be eight, ten foot. You know, He made you. And one of the ways that hinder people from growing is if we neglect service. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of service, wherever God calls you to do, whatever the opportunity is, the responsibilities, wherever the gifting is. But just how, you know, give and it shall be given. That, that works in your spiritual realm, not just your finances. You, if you'll give, serving God, wherever God's called you to do, you grow through that. Exercising develops muscles. Giving out, and sometimes God deals with us and matures us. He enriches us. You ever taught a, a young class, you get matured, Amen. Hopefully you're blessing them, but them kids working on you if you don't backslide. You know what I mean? If, if, you, if you last, they'll do us a good work in you. And so the call of God's grace, call of God's grace. It's call of grace, the enabling of grace. Salvation, sanctification, service. Amen. Hallelujah. That's it. I'm only kidding. Hope you brought umbrellas. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. These are three eternal gems. Three wonderful truths that every believer, every Christian, you can rejoice over, you can be confident in, you can thank God for. You and I have been set apart from before our mother's womb. Let that strengthen your esteem. Let sense the value that heaven puts on you. Receive that from your father before your mother's womb. Rejoice over that. Amen? And we've been called by his grace. Respond to that. Not just one aspect of the call of grace, but every aspect of God's call. Respond to that so you can grow and mature and be the one He's called you to be. And the last point that we can't touch on, we've met Jesus. Paul says, when it pleased Him to reveal His Son in me and through me, to make Jesus real to me, that I might in return make Him real to others. And there's a third gem. You and I that know the Lord, we've met Jesus. He's not just a mythical figure. He's not just a religious preacher from thousands. He is someone we have met personally and we walk with daily. Oh, what a precious, wonderful blessing we have. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Have you met Jesus? Yeah, you have. All right, we're going to pray. If you're here today and you haven't, responded to the Lord. That call of grace. That's the call to be saved. He's calling you. He's died for you. And He's offering you the only way to forgiveness, the only way to salvation. Come and put your faith in Jesus. Come and give your life to Jesus. And He'll save you, forgive you, and start you brand new. 
But now, I know most people here, you've received Christ. So then our prayer is, Lord, help me to respond. Lord, I thank you for the truth that you loved me before I was. That you have a good plan, a desire, and a design for me. But Lord, help me to respond. In these other areas, you're calling all those that are saved to respond to. Help me to do my part to respond that I might grow and become. God wants us to become the sons and daughters He's ordained us to be. Amen? All right. Stand with me, please. Let's pray. And then we open the altar. And if you need to ask Christ in, if you've drifted, come, come and pray. Seek the Lord. If you want a fresh filling, if you need a touch in your body, you've come and you just have a need, please come. Let the Lord touch you. Let the Lord fill you. Let the Lord heal you. Let the Lord just encourage your faith. Father, I want to thank You that just like Paul and Jeremiah, like David, we can also say You knew us before we were. And You loved us. And You smiled upon us. And from our mother's womb You had called us and You had cared for us and smiled upon us. And we thank you, Lord, that that call of grace, saving grace, came to us. Many of us ran from it for a while. Many of us resisted it for a while, but, oh, Lord, you didn't give up on us. Just like you didn't give up on Paul. You didn't give up on us, Lord. And at just the right time, finally, the scales fell from our eyes. Our hardened heart melted. And we met you, and we've never been the same. We've never been the same. We thank you, number one, that we have received a true and lasting salvation. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace. You didn't ask us to earn it. We couldn't. You didn't ask us to achieve it. We were incapable. But, oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved us. It saved us. It came to us. It rescued us. And now, Lord, that we are saved and we know you and we love you, help us the rest of our days to continue to respond to the call of your grace, the call to growth, the call to spiritual maturity, the call to be more and more like Jesus, and the call to serve you, to find our place, and offer you our life that you might use us to minister to others, to love others, to talk to others, to assist others. That we might find our opportunity and our place of service in your kingdom. That we might be your ambassadors. We might be your soldiers. We might be your preachers. To touch this world and to do your works. Now, Father, I pray at this altar, let your grace flow in a mighty measure. Let the stream of living water flow. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, let healing power flow. And I pray that anyone that's thirsty, anyone that's weary, as they draw near to you, you'll fill them to overflowing, and you'll give them a fresh impartation of strength and zeal. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, God bless you. The altars are open. Let's worship the Lord. Pray one for another.